Do you feel this vehicle is safe for highway travel? Yes, I do. Yes, I really do. I, I, I believe that. I know it's not pretty to look at, but it'll get you where you want to go. Now, you got no outside mirror. No, we lost that. You have no functioning gauges. No, not a one. However, the radio still works. Funny <laughs> as that may seem, with all this mess, that the radio is the only thing that's really working good, and it's as clear as a bell. Don't ask me how. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum podcast. I'm Ryan from coldsploitation.com and I'm joined with my co-host Martin. How's it going? We're here for another turkey day. Um, turkey day is coming up pretty soon. Thanksgiving. Uh, for Americans, I, I shouldn't speak for the the rest of the world. Americans have turkey day coming up. As uh, an American, you speak for the rest of the world. <laughs> I guess so. The Canadians have already had theirs. And, well, and the, at the, the wrong time. In the film that we're covering today... We have a Canadian pretending to be a U.S. citizen celebrating the natural Thanksgiving, what I would call natural, that occurs in November. Whereas he's Canadians, not, they, they there's occurs like he's not. Let's say he's not a Canadian. He's the poker king of Milwaukee with his on his downtime sells shower curtain rings. It's true. Um, I just I think we talked about this when we did our episode on Dutch, uh, which was last year. Bitch. But, <laughs> but, um, it's weird to me that Canadians celebrate. I mean, I guess it's weird to them that they celebrate that we celebrate in November. But it's weird to me that they celebrate their um, Thanksgiving festivities in October. It just seems so early. Ours is way past harvest time. Ours is, yeah, yeah. yeah the way this is, country yeah. now celebrates Christmas, like it's a fucking three month. Extravaganza. Yeah, they might as well just move it back to October. Yeah, but um, like put it right before Halloween. We don't need Columbus Day anymore. Just get rid of Columbus. That's Day. basically what the Thanksgiving in Canada is. Is uh, like the middle of October. So they get like Thanksgiving and businesses would love Halloween. it too. You get rid of Columbus Day, replace it with Thanksgiving. That's one less federal holiday you got to worry about. I feel like yeah, I feel like businesses would like that because. You would have a lot more chances to have like giant sales or like what you would do, quote unquote, giant sales. Well, get like, rid of that if they got if you, if you just got rid of Columbus Day and moved Thanksgiving to there, then you'd be losing that Columbus Day sale. On you know, is that a big thing? Yeah, I guess it is a little bit for like cars and like furniture. But stores. I feel like they would have more chance to be like Christmas is you know because then you don't have anything in between Halloween and Christmas, so you just be like Christmas is coming. You know, putting that panic in everybody's. Face we have, like we got Veterans Day. Buy shit, buy shit, buy shit. So yeah, uh, but I feel like yeah, we, I, I think we talked about that a little bit on our Dutch episode. But yeah, well, your sister's like ever growing every year, like moving more and more towards the Christmas spirit in like the middle of October. Yeah, I know. I just want to give her a stone cold stunner. <laughs> she did. She does though. Yeah, she gets people like that are the bane. Of, like she's starting to get. It's obnoxious. Like watching that's why there's Christ- a war on Christmas. Because you know what? You take a you used to just be twelve days of Christmas, you know, and that's it. And then slowly but surely, you've been well, twelve days of Christmas occurs after Christmas. The first day occurs like on Christmas, and then you 
further from that is, is the rest of the days because you're getting presents like for it's almost like Hanukkah but for Christmas. Like we couldn't just have Christmas; we have to co-opt Hanukkah too. That's what Twelve Days of Christmas is. Um, anyway, we're kind of off track here. We're talking about Christmas. That's for our that's for our other episodes. Our our um, special, our next series, yeah, our next series which that we is do. in two weeks. Yeah, uh, but this time because th- Thanksgiving falls on a Thursday. And technically, our episode should release that that Friday after Thanksgiving. We felt you would want the Thanksgiving episode prior to that. You you wouldn't, and we would have to release it on Thanksgiving. Doesn't give people a chance to really celebrate Thanksgiving prior to it. You're not building up. There's no climax to Thanksgiving. There's no climax. I'm going to say that again. There's no climax to Thanksgiving. Uh, so we decided, or I decided, that we would do our Thanksgiving episode this week. Um, and then when we come back in two weeks, we're pretty much just going to start the uh, the Christmas episodes, the weekly Christmas episodes leading up to Christmas. Um, and that way we can get we can definitely get four episodes in for Christmas, um, which is sometimes a struggle because Christmas occurs like in that third week of December. So a um, lot of brainstorming, a lot of <laughs> math going on on the Blood and Black Rum podcast to figure out when the best Consulted day. the scrolls. That's to right. See, <laughs> the best know. day for the Thanksgiving episode to hit, and talk, we found it. Talk to the astronomers and astrologists, and that's right. We consulted. We're like, uh, what's the what's Blood and Black Rum podcast astrological sign? And then what's the moon phase that they're in as well? That's in as well. Um, so yeah, we're doing a Thanksgiving episode today. Last year we did Dutch, which is a John Hughes favorite of mine. Um, not so much of Martin's. We talked about this a little bit. We, I said, I joked with him and I said, Hey, maybe we'll do Dutch part two this year and we'll just do a, a new look at it. And I said, maybe Martin won't be a shit for this one. Like he was for the last episode with Dutch. It's a terrible movie. I don't think it's a terrible movie it's at a all. Terrible it's a, movie. it's a seasonal staple for me. I feel bad that Ed O'Neill was participating into it. Now for Dutch, like I would say that th- Thanksgiving through Christmas is John Hughes time frame for me i watch all john hughes movies during this time frame and dutch is a big one and it i mean it's probably been like five years since i uh first watched dutch i never actually had seen it until one year when i looked up a list of thanksgiving movies and i was like dutch what's that no one's ever heard of dutch so i watched it and i was yeah i was i was i was blown away by it i said you know what this is another great john hughes film that i found but it's not the best Thanksgiving John Hughes film. I will agree with that. It's not the best one. The fact that he's got two tells you something. <laughs> well, you know what? We'll say, I'll, I'll say that in a second. But So he has two. Yeah, you're right. And the one that we're doing today is the best John Hughes Thanksgiving <laughs> film. 50%. 50% of John Hughes Thanksgiving Well, there output. might be one that we're missing. You maybe. Know, from maybe like, he has done one. Or maybe there's like a touch of Thanksgiving in one, ep- in one of his movies or something. But the best Thanksgiving film by John Hughes is the, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I was going to say, it's the quintessential Thanksgiving film. That's right. It, there's three films I would say. I think I'm pretty sure I brought it up during Dutch. There's three films I would say that... Everyone should watch on Thanksgiving because it's a marathon day where you're just with the family eating, watching football, mm-hmm. planes, trains, automobiles, Alice's Restaurant, and The Last Waltz. Mm-hmm. Those are the three films you should watch. I don't think that anybody's going to watch Alice's Restaurant on Thanksgiving. But it's a Thanksgiving movie. 
I know it's a Thanksgiving movie. I just don't think anybody's going to watch it. I think anybody watches that movie to begin with, except for you. Just listen to the damn song. There bro. you go. It's yeah. twenty. It, instead of being an hour and a half, it's just a twenty-minute long song. There you go. You can do that instead. Yeah, I think Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is John Hughes' best Thanksgiving film by far. I th- I, it's definitely better than Dutch. Dutch. Dutch came later, but it's Dutch is an inferior, as you said. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's uh, very similar in beat for beat. Yeah, I mean, it follows the same types of things. You know, one unlucky event after another for haphazard, uh, weird, uh, uh, double couple uh, film where the, the two people don't get together, uh, they don't get along, and yeah, they have to learn like, to get along. Yeah, not couple. Yeah, They're, that's what I was looking yeah. for. <laughs> um, one's one's a mean, miserable prick, and the other one's a. Uh, cherub like you know goof yeah and or as john candy would say because he's canadian a goof a goof you know and the other thing about planes trains and automobiles is that it has the um the right amount of i would say comedy and the lightheartedness and the emotional beats that you need for a film about you know thanksgiving which really in, in at its heart is about being thankful for your family and being you know you know, just thinking about your family and thinking about the things that are in your life that you're really thankful for that some people might not have. And that's plain strange and automobiles. And the same thing is true of Dutch. I mean, it's, it does touch on the same exact themes, especially even like the, the finale is that climax of coming home to a, a scarlet haired woman and uh, seeing her and just having that emotional Resonance of the the songs that they pick for the the finale. They're it's both the same in Dutch. You know what I was thinking about and Home Alone. I was gonna say you know what I was thinking about is Uncle Buck Christmas or Thanksgiving. Is it either? I don't know. I think it is because John Uncle Can- Buck is one of those is a film actually that I don't know very well. Um, to be honest with you, I don't know that it's. I, I didn't realize that it had a holiday at all. I can't remember. I've only like seen it once. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know that. Um. I have to look it up now because, <laughs> and, and to be honest with you, I need to revisit Uncle Buck because it's been a while since I've seen it, and I, it's not one of those films that I watch very often. The same thing with how you mentioned uh, John Hughes films is Beethoven, and I, you know, I, that never strikes me as a John Hughes film. You're right; it should strike as a Charles Grodin film. Actually, I think because of the. Um, proliferation of Beethoven sequels <laughs> it strikes me as a direct to home video film but it's not Beethoven the original Beethoven was not but it's, the, it's the sequels classic. were and that's why it always makes me think of a direct to that great third one with Judge Reinhold I, you know what I don't even know if I've seen like this the rest of the sequels I've seen I, like I, a couple I've seen we had the first three on VHS and it's got a lot of watching third one has John Ru- Judge Reinhold in it yeah, I don't see for Uncle Buck. I don't see a specific time frame. So maybe, maybe, maybe it is in there. Like maybe there's a Thanksgiving scene or something like that. But I don't see a specific time frame where it would make me say like, yeah, that's a Thanksgiving film. I don't. I don't know. Don't know. Well, I think the thing too with John Hughes films, a lot of films we consider John Hughes films aren't even John Hughes films. He just wrote the damn things. True. That's no, also true. Yeah, yeah, if you're Christopher, Chris Columbus, you gotta feel pretty shitty. You you direct <laughs> you're Home overshadowed, Alone. Overshadowed, yeah. You directed Home Alone. Yeah. You ain't getting no recognition about recognition about it. It's yeah. just like, oh, that wonderful John Hughes. That's true. There yeah. are a lot of John Hughes films where John Hughes's script is like, 
Yeah, it's a John Hughes film. Same thing, like Beethoven, you know. It's really not. Here, though, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is, a, is by definition, a John Hughes film. It's directed by John Hughes. It was written by John Hughes. And so this uh, 1987 film is certainly a John Hughes film. And I said, and I brought it up when we were watching the movie, you know, and just kind of thinking about it. If you've seen one John Hughes film, you've seen them all. Because literally, beat for beat, story arcs, what's mm. going on, it's all the same, just slightly different situations, and then changing up the cast, you know, to make it interesting. I think one of the things, though, that is interesting about John Hughes films, and you're right, I mean, he does copy his templates, you know, sometimes, like in the case of Dutch, Dutch is like a copy-paste of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, switch out the characters, switch out a couple of situations, you have a new movie. This movie, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, very similar to Vacation. Mm Mm-hmm. You've got practically the same car, except not in wagon form. You're right, right. You know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think the the interesting thing about John Hughes films is that though the templates are the same, though it's a very similar idea in all of his plots, um, the creativeness comes through in the actual events that are happening. Like the like the the actual Goldbergian like design that he has of like bad luck after bad luck after bad <laughs> luck. Those are the things that you look for in a John Hughes film to say like. Okay, this is that this is why I'm watching. This is the the difference between Home Alone and, you know, Plain Streets and Automobiles. There's a little bit of a difference there even though the actual storyline seems like you could just take a template and fit it in to another John Hughes film. And that's probably why The Breakfast Club is also probably like my is easily my favorite John Hughes film is because I think out of all his films it's different enough. There's enough like different like It's been things. a long time since I've seen The Breakfast Club. You're telling me there's no traps in that one? <laughs> there's there's no like shenanigans where criminals well, sneak in. There's shenanigans. Yeah, no, I know. I'm just kidding. But it's not like you know. Yeah. I think the fact that it's just a set, uh, you know, the school library really helps the film out too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because we're talking about like with plane trains and automobiles. Obviously, the name alone suggests that we're going to be in various locations. So some movies. Don't really like the Breakfast Club. Don't really differ from their settings. Like they they stick in one setting. That's a difficult thing to do to stay in one setting and make it interesting throughout the film. On the other hand, you have a John Hughes film like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles that has copious amounts of settings. It's just all different settings. Granted, they're all like just. I mean, they're different settings, but overall, if you think about it, like with like most of the stuff shot, it's like that. Like those motel rooms, they're all like the same. Same mm-hmm. thing with like the car. You know, but it's still funny. And a lot of the set designs are yeah. like retreads of set designs that he will – he does use or has used or will use. So like the house in this one, the the colonial brick looks a lot like the Home Alone house um, or, you know, the Dutch house. They all look very similar. It's all very, stems from his own upbringing, his Chicago. Suburban Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Um, Chicago – what would you be, a Chicagoan? Chicagoan? Chicago white. I think it's Chicagoan. Chickahua. Chicagoan. Oshkosh. <laughs> oh gosh, it's Ugnat. <laughs> uh, this is the time where we would take a break to do beer talk, but we don't have any beer on the show today. Well, we have beer. Just we have beer, but we don't have anything new, so we're not going to bother. Why? Why bog down the show with a beer that we've already talked about? So. 
Sorry about that. Next time we'll get something good for the. We'll we'll start our winter ales for the the Christmas shows. But for right now, we don't have anything. So we're just we're just drinking regular shit. <laughs> um. All right. So planes, trains, and automobiles. We we'll get into it a little bit. Nineteen eighty-seven film. Uh, it's a road film. Basically, like a lot of John Hughes films. As I told you, every film of his should open up with Holiday Road. Why not? It's all holidays. So why not open up with Holiday just Road? Ima- just imagine that opening credit sequence instead of having like the car and like you know flight taking off. Just Holiday Road as Steve Martin and Kevin Bacon race down New York City Strip, trying to find a taxi. Absolutely, it'd be great. Holiday Road. That would be good. I mean, somebody should just do that well, we for have, all John Hughes. They should just make a video of just, replacing the opening and it just like just present it out there. It's playing trains and automobiles <laughs> as like this is the original director's cut, except we've replaced whatever the first song is with Holiday Road. I'm, I might do that. I might just I take, it, get, take it down super quick. You know what? Lindsay would understand. But I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, so that opening. Let's talk about that opening scene. First of all, why is Kevin Bacon in this movie? Where did that come from? Why not? He looks, that, that's, look in the da- 80s, look you're, saying, he looks you're saying, you know what? Just like you would do at breakfast, you're like, why not, Bacon? <laughs> why not? <laughs> he looks is he so, available? He looks so dapper and like such a dandy with that mullet and he scarf. Does, he does look dapper with the scarf, but at the same time, he looks like a ragamuffin, too. Because of his hair. No, see, because it's the eighties. He's styling and profiling. He looks like he looks like he's trying to be a fucking Bon Jovi stand-in in this movie. <laughs> the funny thing is, though, he looks like a Bon Jovi stand-in, like from like ninety-five. That's true. Yeah, not like not right, eighty-five. Not, not the eighties. Because he, bon Jovi. you know, John Bon Jovi had much bigger hair, but like, yeah. He so I guess like, we should say Bon Jovi. Looks like a Kevin Bacon stand-in. <laughs> Today, it's more yeah. accurate. It's more accurate. But yeah, yeah I thought- and it was really was really sucked me to get to see his balls in this one. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like in Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> yeah. I I just always it always strikes strikes me when I watch this movie. It's like, well, where, wh- like why? Kevin Bacon, where did that come from? Where they're like, we're going to have a Kevin Bacon cameo. He's probably I just mean, like, you know, they're on, I mean, they're was, on set one day and yeah. you're like, Saw Kevin Bacon walking by, I, and John's like, "Hey, Kevin, you busy? Yeah, you wanna, no, why? You hey, you want to be in the scene? I mean, this was like a good heyday for him. You know, Kevin Bacon was doing stuff, and he, it wasn't like it was his big period, though. You know what they should have done? They should have had either like Dan Aykroyd or Eddie Murphy, like be, show up right there. Yeah, because yeah. that would be like trading places, you right? Know? Right? Yeah. I mean, it's they, not a John Hughes film, but you know. No, it's not. But but yeah, it would make sense. And you have the New York City setting, and I just it always strikes me that you know you have Kevin Bacon show up there. It's just I don't know where it came from, and I'm it, I kind of want to hear the backstory of it. And just like why Kevin Bacon? Regardless, though, yeah, you have that that opening scene that sets up. There's a nice little bit of like um, what Goldberg did- play here as well, like the Rube Goldberg device of like <laughs> Kevin Bacon and. Steve Martin are running down the street. And as I said, Kevin Bacon is certainly forgiven for thinking that Steve Martin cannot outrun him in a race because he's probably like, look at that old 70-year-old across the street. He wants a taxi as well. He's like, I got this. You know, I'm in the prime of my shape. And Steve Martin's like, I'm only I'm like 35 years old in this movie. <laughs> Steve Martin is always looking. 
By the way, what an inane, innocuous job profession they gave him in this movie. Like ad executive. What are, like that's another John Hughes staple. Giving like, people like random ridic- business. Yeah, ridiculous yeah. jobs like Chevy Chase with being like, oh, I'm in the vacation series being like, I'm a food editor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting bogged down in corporate world. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. I mean, that does. Yeah. He always gives people like these weird. I mean, things that you might not think about people having jobs uh, as. But like, they're like upper class jobs. Right, too. right. Like, you know, yeah, like, they, like, yeah. Mm, yes, I'm a ad executive firm. Like Chevy Chase is definitely struggling as a, well, like a physicist slash, uh, you know, food additive <laughs> consultant yeah, yeah. At, who can't put in, who can't afford his pool without a bonus. Must, yeah. Super struggling. <laughs> Yeah, Steve Martin's the same way here, except we know, like, he's upper crust in this movie because he's wearing the 30s noir outfit. <laughs> the uh, It looks so ridiculous, his hat and his red stripe. Just, and, uh, you know, yeah. expecting I, to pick something up being like, hmm, I don't know, Phelps. <laughs> the other thing, too, is that, so Steve Martin gets the, the very, like, noirish detective uh, look, but then... Um, John Candy gets the like newsboy <laughs> hat and a perm, like a curly haired perm. I want to know why they gave him the perm. I think it adds quite a bit. Just like it, I mean, it does make him look even like goofier. But like, I mean, it, he's got his. They should have let him grow his hair out a little bit, so like it'd be like a little bit of a like longer nice, on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless he has to have like a traditionally 80s perm but like you know so it's a little bit more you know kind of throwed out instead of just like I think these really tiny curls i think it works pretty well because like when you first see him you see him in the taxi cab steve martin opens the door and he gives that like shock expression it's hilarious because you're like just blown away by the goofiness of john candy's <laughs> that appearance. nice pencil thin yeah. step mustache. nice mustache going on i know i think it works more so than it doesn't like with the with the perm because um, there's a lot of moments where, you know, his, just his appearance alone is enough to like make you laugh in this movie. <laughs> and that's, I think another big selling point of John Candy too, is that like him just being in the movie. Well, that's why it's this up like 10 degrees. Well, this is where like, uh, where it's criticizing John Hughes for having very generic, you know, if you've seen one John Hughes film, you've seen the other, mm-hmm. his strong suit is getting a great enough cast around it to make the material work. Right. It's like ACDC. Everyone, like, you know, that doesn't like them bitches about, like, oh, it's just the same three chords. Well, you know what? They're good. And they change it up enough to where you can still rock out. different, yeah. Yeah, so you know what? Like, yeah. Use it enough. Same thing with John Hughes, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the casting on this is pretty perfect. Steve Martin has always been sort of a uppity asshole, like, in pretty much everything that he plays. Like, that's typecast for him. Just, uh, yeah, and so like he's perfect as the foil to John, John Candy. Candy. These stereotypical typecasting of being you know the lovable doof. Yeah, and he really is here. And th- in this case, it goes a little even further than that though, because I think John Candy's really good at getting that like the emotional element across that you need here, and that Steve Martin is being such an asshole throughout. That you're actually like you're like yeah this would suck to be part of Dell Griffith's you know convoy, <laughs> but at the same time I probably wouldn't be such an asshole about it, um, and so, so you get that 
emotional resonance within planes, trains, and automobiles that works and makes it, you know, it, it builds and builds. And you have, like, the ebb and flow of, like, yeah, they're fighting. No, they're not fighting. Uh, they're getting back together. Oh, no, they're and not. And it's funny, too, because the way uh, Steve Martin treats him and is such a bastard to him, you wouldn't think he's, like, trying to get home to see his family. He's like, I'm trying to get home because I got a horse to fuck. You yeah, know? I was thinking fuck something like, wife. you know what? In Steve, Steve Martin's case, at least he does want to get home to his wife. Uh, because he could go the Mad Men route and just like fuck his way through New York City, Wisconsin. <laughs> although I don't know how much you want to fuck through Wisconsin. Wait, Kansas. Kansas. You know, so he could do that instead, and he could just be like, you know what? I'm missing Thanksgiving, but I'm gonna eat, you know, muff instead. So <laughs> going muff, going down to Muff right. Town. Yeah, he could be doing that. Which again, but like, like his personality, you would think like he's like, oh, he doesn't care about you know his family. That's true. But then when you see, pick, like, you know, like they flash to his home and you see his children and how they're dressed and whatnot, you'd be like, you know what? I probably wouldn't want to go home to that either. Like, I'm making all this money for this shit. Oh, you're so mean to their kids. You're so mean to their kids. But you know what? They also did get a, uh, they got a, uh, what's the uh, kid's name there? Um, What's the kid's name? That Ma- Matthew Lawrence. They got Matthew Lawrence. I almost said Matt Lillard. <laughs> Matthew Lillard. No, not the not the the greatest Scooby uh, or Shaggy of the nineties and two thousands. No, not Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, they got Matthew Lawrence here, who we just saw in uh, in Tales from the Dark Side. So you wouldn't want to go home to Matthew Lawrence with mm-hmm. his super ridiculous bowl cut? His proto bowl cut? Whatever that is. It's, I mean, like, it's, it's like half mushroom, half bowl cut. Yeah. He's got, got like, a lot of mullet in the back. The back is really long and overhanging. But then the front has like, it's cut almost like a flying saucer. So that he can see, uh, you know, it's not covering his eyes. Because if it was long in the front too, it would be covering his eyes. So they did like a flying saucer cut. Or what I would consider like an an avocado cut, right? Like long, <laughs> like longer on the bottom, mm-hmm. and then shorter on the top. That's what I would say. He's got an avocado cut. Um, yeah. So Matthew Lawrence is one of his kids. He's got like three kids, right? Four kids. Yeah, he's got kids. the girl, the uh, younger son, him, and then like the little baby. Yeah. So I'm not sure if Steve Martin fathered that child. <laughs> you know, he might not have been virile enough. That's right. So you got Steve Martin uh, flying from New York City to Chicago, wants to get home to his family for Thanksgiving. He's got, like, what, two days when he's when he's starting out on his trip, I think? I don't two- know. Mean, you made it sound like he'd be home by 9 o'clock at night. Well, yes. So, I mean, two days to Thanksgiving. <clears throat> um, because New York City to Chicago flight is, like, three hours. So you're fine. You're, you would have more than enough time. And I think the intent is that he's supposed to get home two days before Thanksgiving. Like, he's there. He's going to get home that night. And yet they get a really bad snowstorm in Chicago at O'Hare, closes Chicago down. They get rerouted on the flight to uh, Wichita. Which is dumb. I don't know why, why? anyone would. Chicago, okay. Yeah. So, I don't oh, know. Oh, wait. Hold on. We're not going to, like... Kentucky or Tennessee, you know, no, we're rerouting you all the way out to Kansas. Yeah, that sounds like a bad airline. I don't know why. Well, it's American Airlines. I really don't know why they would pick Wichita as the destination. They're like, you know what? There's there's like plenty of closer uh, airports that probably aren't getting massive amounts of snow, but we're gonna go. To, <laughs> we're going to Wichita instead. You know? it's, it's just uh, that's another. And you said like. 
that's just another John Hughes uh, staple. American Airlines sucking at their jobs. Yeah. Because they show them pr- always loud and proud in, you know, these films. American Airlines just not being we able to get, get the job you, done. We won't get you where we have to get you. <laughs> Instead, we'll bring you to Wichita. American Airlines should have flown Southwest. <laughs> just a picture of, like, the, like the, the lady on the plane, like, shrugging her shoulders, like, eh. Oh, well. You bought first class? We don't got a seat for you. I was saying too. Which that would piss me off too. Like if I, I, I mean, I never flown, so I couldn't tell you. But I mean, if I bought a first class ticket, and I, yeah, you gotta say coach. I'm like no, I bought a fucking first class ticket. Yeah, we overbooked. Well, how's that my problem? Yeah. They're like you've got a coach seat, so you could just go have a seat back there. You know, if Steve Martin did that today, he'd be fucking tasered, getting his you know balls tasered in a. By TSA back at the air, you know, at LaGuardia or Kennedy, wherever the hell in New York City. I don't think he'd get. I don't even think he'd get through the uh, security checkpoint with his uh, big trench coat. (laughs) They wouldn't let him on. They would be stopping him. They'd be like, "Sir, why are you look like a spy from 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 Mad Magazine (laughs) with your trench coat and hat?" Sir, I'm gonna need you to put the hat in the garbage can. (laughs) Doesn't meet TSA Uh, regulations. Are you three kids in a trench coat? I just love too. Also, a little off topic. How every three years they're like adding new rules to flying, as if you know we're just another terrorist attack away. Hey, we're gonna make it now. That you gotta have to have your ID on you at all times. Have fun. Now you gotta have your. Now you're gonna have to have a passport or a. Yeah, so I'm saying like license. yeah yeah the the real ID. Yeah, planes, trains, and automobiles reminds you of the easy simpler, time, ti- the simpler times, times of flying. flying. You know what? They don't. Nobody has any phones. <laughs> They're just sitting there reading the newspaper like well-read individuals. That one girl was reading in Us Weekly on the bus. Yeah. Everyone, you know, John Candy was reading some fine literature, too. No wonder voter turnout was so much better back then. <laughs> They're all reading the paper like good, educated Americans. Reading, you know, the Chicago Tribune or the Wall Street Journal. That's right. That's Something. Right. Post. Daily News. He's pulling out their phones and playing snood. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dated reference. <laughs> no one has snood on their phones. <laughs> Candy Crush, I guess, would be the better. Snood. <laughs> snood, yeah. Snood. That's a 20-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You want to pay for Snoot? Nope. <laughs> Not the paid version. I'll just play the same ten levels over and over mm. again. Nope. Snood. Okay, uh, these kids that didn't play Snood. That's right. They don't know what they're missing out on. Um, <laughs> one other thing, too, at the <laughs> at the airport, John Candy's reading The Canadian Mounted. <laughs> nice Harlequin romance novel <laughs> with a sexy lady with a bikini on the you front. You are just... Waiting to bandy that one out. What, the Canadian Mounted? No, Harlequin. Oh, Harlequin. The Harlequin romance novel. Um, which uh, <laughs> brings to your favorite part of the movie. Which part? Where, as he's reading the novel and pulls the... Oh, yeah, yeah, that that is true. Yeah, waiting in the airport, and uh, so Steve probably, Martin's uh, reminded... Say, say it's probably my favorite part, too. To yeah, <laughs> Steve Martin's reminded of, you know, where he's seen Dell Griffith before, and he remembers him from the taxi cab, and there's this very cheap shot of 
Del Griffith behind a very clearly like detached taxi cab door while he's sitting. He's got his outfit on from the taxi cab, but he's sitting in the airport. And it's pretty hilarious because I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it's it's really funny. I think it is. I think it probably is, too. They wanted that, like, really cheap, like, where he was like, where, where do I know him from? And so he was, like, s- still thinking of the airport, but he's remembering the taxi. But still, it's really funny because it's just a really cheap shot where I can imagine John Hughes being like, oh, we need a, we need a shot of him remembering where he first met Dell. So they were just like, well, you know what? We're in the airport. Just, Let's just shoot it. Take the door yeah, off. Put the, put the taxi cab door up and it's great. But and again, too, it's John Candy with his facial whole, expression. Yeah, his whole facial expression and his, his look that just adds to that moment. But yeah, that's that's a really funny scene. <laughs> I really like that scene. It's, it always gets me. There's a couple things that get me all the time when I watch this. Um I'll talk about him when we when The fact get, that get John Candy is a shower curtain ring salesperson. That's great. Yeah. A shower curtain rings. Like, that's what, something. What, how innocuous is that? I, I feel like even in 87, that was innocuous, where you would be just like, shower curtain rings. And especially because they're like Walmart special, like the plastic $3 shower curtain rings. And Really? I, was saying, I just bought a pack because I, I just bought a pack of shower curtain rings and they were like a buck for them. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that cheap, huh? Well, do you know what, though? Dell's only selling these. To uh, women for five bucks with earrings as as earrings, so they they can't be that they can't be that expensive. But yeah, I, I do like it too because especially like when he's going to places and when he goes to that first hotel after they're in Wichita, and they get a ride from Doobie and in <laughs> Doobie's Taxiola <laughs> uh, with the uh, soft hard rock that's going on in there, taking the scenic route. Um, he gets to that uh, first motel. And the guy greets him. He's like, Del Griffith, how the hell are you? <laughs> it's just so hilarious to see. He's like so excited to see this guy who must come around quite a bit to sell shower curtain rings to motel owners. Um, thinking That's probably guy, why they stopped at nothing but only the finest motels along, along yeah. their journey. You know so what I'll you got to think about too is why are these uh, hotels replacing their shower curtain rings so often? And people ripping them down and – Wrapping up dead bodies in the shower <laughs> curtains, or like fuck. Would have been great if we stopped at like the Bates Motel. Yeah. Fuck, we're missing another ten shower curtain <laughs> rings. We gotta call Dell again. Gonna get the specialty kind. <laughs> that Czechoslovakian ivory. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, that's a good touch. Again, like that's another really weird detail that you like. That's what you watch a John Hughes film for. You, the weird details like that, or. At that same hotel, the detailed swapping scene, just like in Home Alone, of swapping, like, the credit cards in this one, or um, Kevin's passport getting swept into the garbage, like that really quick scene. Mm -hmm. You get that again, where they swap their credit cards, and that sets up the, the rest of the film's, you know, shenanigans, where, especially towards the end with the rental car, uh where you you find out about, you know, that he actually put the rental car on Steve Martin's credit card. And what what a time to be alive, too. There's no, you know. Diners club. There's no, there's no internet. So they got the old bricks to fucking, which if you don't know, and the only reason I know is because I, the, uh, the convenience store I used to work at, if the power went out. You'd have to supplement. We'd have to fucking use that old brick to. To actually do it, because you're like, no, no, we're still accepting credit cards. And basically, if you don't know how it works, is 
You set the car down on the old brick. You lay the paper that um, on top of it, and then you swipe it over so it imprints the embossing and all that onto that, and then you write out the total amount, the date, and then like when the card expires yep. and the person's name. That way you can staple it to the receipt, and eventually that'll get mailed to the credit company to then charge the person for that. I feel like that method. That, I'd say, that, what a way to live. Like, you can just be like, if you had no money, you're just like, yeah, just, you know, fuck it, keep running, you know, and yeah. like, you get what you want, and then like, two months down the road, then deal with like the consequences, like, oh shit, you know. Yeah. Now it's just like, denied. No. I, well, I feel like that method doesn't work anymore either because a lot of cards aren't embossed and they have the chip on them. And I feel like if you ran that brick over the chip, it would break the chip off. Probably. So I, I don't, don't think, think you'd that be able to use anymore. it anymore. It's yeah, totally I, don't think, I don't think it works anymore. I don't, I don't think that's like a thing anymore. But it's just funny. That like, you know, because it's like, I just love seeing like all those like old things that you see that like, or even like a little bit before our time, but they're enough, you know. We know enough about them. And yeah. Like, I mean, I definitely know of them. I used to, I, they used to have them when I worked in retail as well and uh, never really had to use them. But yeah, they were, they were still a thing. But I, I think now they're like not even, you know, they're not used anymore. I don't I, think they can be used. I remember the one time I was showing somebody uh, when I was working how to use them. I'm like, oh, it's real simple. And I took my debit card out, put it on there. And I went and I did it. And I like bent my debit card in half. <laughs> I fucking did. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, I that was always a, was a like possible a, consequence of that, too. It's like, yeah, like, fuck up your card. I was really like, bad. oh, because it's, it's got uh, four sides. Like where you set the card down, there's four sides to it. They're kind of like guide rails where you set the card in. So it's supposed to lock into place. So when you. Because you got the thing, you got to pull and push real hard to get it to go over. Otherwise, it won't imprint it well. It's like an old timey like printing press, and so by being set there, it should you know keep it from not moving. But when I went to show the person how to do it, my card fucking moved, and I bent that thing right in half. And I was like, I just got that debit card. God damn it! Yeah. Good times. Yeah, plane trains and automobiles reminds you of the uh, the older times. There's a reference to Datsun in this. Yeah, one. that's probably the most dated reference. Yeah, they. Uh, so when Steve Martin is going to, to rent a car, uh, and he gets to the actual car rental slot where the car should be, and it's not there. Uh, after he gets dropped off the bus from a guy straight out of like the Florida bayous, as you said, <laughs> uh, he's like, hey, a guy from uh, Waterboy, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can barely understand what he says at all. You can just hear, he says like, Viva. but that's it. Uh, so when Steve Martin gets to that parking spot, he has to hike all of his way back through the airport, which uh, again, here we go. Steve Martin would have never made it on the terminal to an <laughs> airport walking across like that because he would have gotten fucking tackled by TSA <laughs> right quick. Um, but he walks across a terminal and goes back to the, the rental car outlet. Um, and yeah, he, he says, you know, I, I want a fucking Datsun. I want a fucking uh, Mustang. Yeah, Mustang. Fucking- yeah, something. The Datsun is, is a dated reference that it's pretty funny to. For somebody to ask for that now. Which that's probably easily the most uh, well-remembered scene. Yeah. Him going on his F-bomb tirade. Yeah, probably. I believe that Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a PG-13 rating. So this is one of those movies that that got around the the more recent. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. It's an R. 
It is not. I, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure I it was, got I've a, always thought it was PG-13, but I, yeah, no, I guess it's not. I will say, because I, I brought it up before on the podcast, the the rating, I can't remember the fucking name of the documentary, but about the rating system. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the movies they talked about. It's still not yet rated? Yes. Yeah. They were. That's one of the films they talked about. Plane Chains and Omnibus. And is. how, like, if they t- they said, take that out, and John, yeah. he's like, nope. And they're like, all right. All right gotcha. Man. Yeah, that makes sense, because... Uh, PG-13, generally, you get one hard F. I'm, I'm pretty sure in related. the 80s you didn't, though. What's that? In the 80s you didn't, though. Mm. A lot Maybe of, in the heyday of the when they first came out with the PG-13 rating. I would say a lot stricter because, you know, that's mm. why Steelberg was crying about Temple of Doom because it had, like, you know, some of the action and it was going to get an R. He's like, this, this not that bad. Right. And that's why, you know. PG-13. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I can see that, you know, there's nothing else that's really stands out about playing trains and automobiles where it's going to get a hard R, except for the F-bombs. You know, there's like seven. So I can see why that pushed it over. Arbitrary? Probably. You know, I think 13-year-olds can stand to hear a couple of F-bombs. Yeah, I mean, he could they could have just had him say, you know, I want a goddamn car, you know, write this goddamn, you know. I think I think actually um one F there and then not any other str- like just regular like vocally yelling would have been a good and actually maybe a better scenario for that. You know, because the 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 fucking starts to get overly ridiculous, which is supposed to be. Well, I mean, because the whole punchline is her yeah. afterwards, like, ooh, you, you got your card yeah. receipt? No, why? Threw it in the fucking ground. Ooh, you're fucked. I That's think, the whole punchline. I think, like, two. I think two would have been fine, right? So, you could, yeah, he could come out and he could be swearing and be like, you know, I want my god, I want a goddamn car, I want, I want, uh, I want to, you know, I mean, I, I get, I mean, I, I, I'm fine with the scene how it is. Yeah, like I'm, I said, I'm fine with it too, yeah. because the whole punchline is, well, you know, it looks like you're fucked. Yeah. So I think him just using fuck is what makes it work. Cause if he says, God damn, and then says like fucking wants her then saying like, Oh, it looks like you're fucked. Isn't going to work as well. If he yeah. goes on that, I'm just trying to ra- you know, rationalize the, it from like a PG 13 rating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is kind of arbitrary that they're like, yeah, this, you know, this swearing is a little bit too much. It's going to push it over into an R. And it's really like you're, you, none of the other content is remotely an R. And, you know, it's just kind of arbitrary that fucking too many fuckings <laughs> gets an R. But, um, yeah, that's a good scene, too. I mean, that's a, that's a really good scene. That's probably one of the most notable scenes of... Plane trains and automobiles. So you you get that scene, especially with the I got sold accent. I was gonna say I don't re- remember her name, but she's like in every her and Ben Stein are just about in every fucking cameo in each of them. Yeah, yeah. Ben yeah. Stein's got one in here too. Like looks like the flight's delayed to well from the Wichita. Very very quick cameo. <laughs> yeah, very quick cameo. Um. <clears throat> so, what do you think about? The uh, interplay between Steve Martin and John Candy. Um, you know, obviously we talked about Steve Martin being a really big asshole. <laughs> John Candy being a lovable goofball. Um, but d- do you think that it works pretty well throughout this? And do you think it's like consistently working? Yes. Yeah. I, I think their play 
the play between them was very good. Um, Steve Martin is always f- hilarious, and John Candy is even funnier. Mm. You know, really sucks that we lost him so soon. I think you know the, their play between them works really well because I can see a lot. Like if I was in Steve Martin's position, I'd probably be fucking going off the rails on him <laughs> every now and then too because yeah. he's such like a putz and yeah. like you know klutzy and he's he's clumsy always messing that way, like, just like you know. Not knowing when to, like, you know, just, like, shut the hell up for a second and, you know, like, oh, like, if I was on the plane sitting next to John Candy and having, like, oh, dog's really barking today, pulling his shoes off and his socks and, like, whipping it in the road. Oh, yeah. Oh, got to let them dogs breathe. (laughs) You know, I'd I'd be probably losing my shit, too. He's actually pretty patient for the most part. He just kind of has a little, you know, some smart ass. uh remarks every now and then there is that one scene where they get to the uh, hotel room the first time and he kind of goes off on him he's like you know i could sit through any insurance seminar <laughs> you know uh i can sit through anything i i've been with dale griffith which is pretty harsh i mean that's like it, a really really harsh uh tirade you know, tirade that he goes on yeah I mean, no, it is. That's, like, I'd say the one flaw is, because even though this, like, takes place over just, like, a couple, like, two, three days, they have, like, these, like, five times a day, like, you know what? That's it. We're not going, fuck this. We're not doing this together anymore. That's it. That's it. You know, and then. They're like a on-again, off-again high school couple. I know, but it's, like. like, Every five minutes, like. But it happens so often, like, you know, over a short span of time. It's like, you'd be fucking kidding me. Yeah, like, those are the beats that, um. John Hughes likes to use throughout, you know, so you get that normally a film is building and building. You think like, oh, they're getting together really well. You know, they're going together really well. And then all of a sudden there's a one climax where it's like, oh. nope, they're now they, they're in a fight. And, and now there's like that the whole moment where you see like both of them on their own individually, somber then, music playing. And then they realize and they, you, and and they get you to, know, like, oh, they're better off together. Yeah. Normally that's like the movie beat. You know, that's in every Adam Sandler movie. Right, like yeah. that's that's literally every Adam Sandler movie, to a T, um, and uh, followed by the end credits, but being by <laughs> Peter Ta- uh, Pete Townsend's "Let My Love Open the Door." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like, that's normally the beat, and in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, that's the idea as well. But it's more. Uh, I mean, I guess it's it, there's more times where that occurs. Like, it, it happens minorly. A few times throughout the movie, uh, where you have the scenes where C. Martin goes off on John Candy, and then they get back together. Like that, like that first time, like that would have been say, like I think for like a little bit, like later down the road, not near the end, because they're starting to kind of get along, you know, a little bit more. But mm. like I think it would have been better sued off, like saving that a little bit, just till like either like the second third or like a little bit like after like the half mark. Cause yeah. it's like literally like a quarter of the movie and he's already like, you're a piece of shit. Yeah. You know, that's and, a, and, it's and, a very harsh and bear, and, you know, and then buries him, you know? And yeah, at that point you'd be like with Dell, he'd be like, you're an abusive asshole. I'm, I don't want to, you know, room with yeah. you anyway. <laughs> yeah, but uh, poor, poor Dell, he's he's just because so out of all the, let's say because out of all like the tirades that he gives, that's like the most damning that, one. That that's he probably get, the worst. You yeah. know, yeah, for sure, because it just keeps going. Like you think it's going to end, you think he's going to end with like the insurance seminar. No, but no. he keeps going. You know, and it just keeps going on, and, and it gets worse. And you know, 
And I think it would have been more impactful, too, because Dell says, like, you know, I wish I could be like you and live an easy life of being, you know, angry and pissed off all the time. But I like to see things on the bright side because I don't I can't hurt people, Mm. you know, like I can't, you know, that something I'm not capable of doing because I I feel, you know, sympathy and empathy. So I think if you had that later on after they've already gone through a lot more crap where Steve Martin, like, finally snaps or something like like if you had after like when like the car like the car being, starts on fire, you know, yeah, on yeah. fire, and then you know when Steve Martin's like after John Candy's having his moment talking about his wife, and Steve Martin's already cozed up into the hotel, like that would have been like at like before they get to that part, had that fight happen mm. there. That way, we can feel more like Steve Martin's having like a oh, as he's sitting in his ho- you know, his nice cozy bed while. John Candy's out there freezing, like, like, oh, maybe I am being a piece of shit. That's true. I, I think that would work really well. I think they, you know, if they had swapped that a little bit and not had him go off so much at the beginning, that probably would have been really successful. Uh, and then you would have even felt worse for, for Dell as a character. Because then at that point, you're starting to get, like, put it together as a viewer, too. You're like, hmm. You know, Dell, especially when, you know, I guess this might not happen in that scenario, but when Steve Martin says, you know, here's to the wives, uh, at least you've got a wife to go home to. And Dell doesn't say anything mm-hmm. like that. At that point, as a viewer, you're like, hmm, OK, you know, you're putting that together. Um, but, yeah, I think that would have been, you know, a really good moment where if they had put that rant there, you would have really felt bad for Dell. And it would have had a lot more resonance going into the the end of it when Steve Martin then, you know, gets on his train and his and into chicago so it gets on the own you know yeah like, come, comes back and says oh shit you know what i think dell's wife is dead and which by the way what an awkward scene that is too as he's on the train having his like piecing it together about you know about dell sitting there making expressions yeah just awkward expressions. I, like, I feel like so, i've like, done that just, though just like laughing to himself like i feel something. like i've done that though maybe drunk but <laughs> You know, like just sitting there as you're drunk, you're like, that was a funny moment. But I feel, yeah, I guess I could see it though. I mean, but yeah, that's like almost like a, that's like the 80s version of a Saw movie where you have like the finale where they're like putting it together. Like, Dell's wife was murdered. Yeah, I know. But, yeah, that's um, – I, I get it. I, I, I can understand Steve Martin's expressions because I feel like I've done it. But, yeah, it's, it's funny. I'm not saying we haven't done it before. It's just funny yeah. that they like put that in the movie. Like it would have been great if they had someone like sitting like across from him and like, get out of here. Yeah. This guy's fucking creep. You know, just yeah. <laughs> chuckling to himself the entire time. No, that's normally the New York City subway. <laughs> this guy's on the L. So, um, Let's talk about the ending a little bit because um, – when we get to the end, we talked about like, the emotional resonance of, you know, especially because John Hughes keeps hitting us with those fucking emotional synth scores. They're like, it's, it is like a lot like, uh, like a Phil Collins song. Yeah. Well, one of them sounds exactly like in the air tonight. Like, but yeah, like you, you don't, you don't ever get that. Like, it doesn't go into that part of the song. It just keeps, you know, being that like emotional, the, you know. Yeah, emotional somberness. 
And I got to say, it's pretty effective. You know, the, the soundtrack itself is pretty effective. Um, but then once you have the end there where he figures out that Dell's really alone and comes back to get him, and then they go back to his house where Steve Martin can be like, look at my house, look at my kids, look, look at my, my wife. Yeah, look at my I nice really live a really charmed <laughs> life. No problem. I'll pay for that car that caught fire. It's no problem. 20K? No problem. I'm, you know, I got this. Say, look at my nice big suburban home and my yeah. beautiful wife, my children, yeah. and her her parents. They're still alive. And my parents, they're all still <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I will say that, you know, watching – when I'm not being c- critical about it, watching it gives you good feels. Gives you a little nice little – like, yeah, I would miss my wife. I would miss my kids. But at the same time, when you think about it critically, and I, yes, Steve Martin is doing a good thing by bringing Dell home. I'm not saying that that's not true. But the connotation at the end is sort of saddening because you could just see like Dell kind of crumbling like inside, a little bit. Inside. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you just think about it. Like, yeah, Dell is happy to be in a home. It's great. You know, he's having Thanksgiving with someone else, his friend. Now. Well, I say what you don't what you don't see is during the middle of like their Thanksgiving prayer, he just breaks down. Yeah, and- right. Because he's sitting there with all these people who have nice families and he's like, I've got no one. <laughs> you know, uh, it's great that you came home to your wife. I, I'm glad I got you home to her. But like, I'm still when I leave here, there's still no one. Well, like, that's the other thing too. When you think about it, it's like, so what happens at, to Dell afterwards? Does he just like Steve uh, Martin? The next uh, after just, after Thanksgiving dinner is like kicking him out on the on the stoop, and he's like, "All right, Dell, all right, <laughs> we'll see you, you later." Know, there's a nice neighborhood down in you know Oshkosh that I'm you know. You'd sell some of those uh, shower curtain rings, too. Have go, fun, bud. Go visit the kids' homeless shelter from Home Alone 2. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that I just, uh, like, when you don't think about it too much, the ending is nice. It's great. He brought Dell home. Dell's going to have a nice dinner. But the final scene of John Candy giving that smile, which is almost not like a smile. It's like kind of like a grimacy smile. Does make you remember, oh, yeah, Dell's wife is dead. So, like him seeing all of this, you know, greatness of uh, Steve Martin coming home to his wife is sort of like making him hurt even worse. He's like, I'm not going to have that ever again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it works. And, you know, you have Take My Breath Away playing in the background. Take my breath away. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> um so, so yeah i always say that's the uh the original part of god god what's that uh michael douglas film falling down this is the original like yeah. the aftermath yeah. this is the original uh pitch for falling down the one thing john that- candy's one bad day just- <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that always has struck me too is when they come home and they meet Steve Martin's wife. And she comes down the stairs. That's She's not been his upstairs. wife. That's his daughter. <laughs> yeah, that's his daughter. Those are his grandchildren. And she she gives that like sultry because I guess you're supposed to think like she's very verklempt from <laughs> um, from seeing Steve Martin come home. It's been two days. But it's very sultry when she says, hello, Mr. Hello, Mr. Griffith. And I today I thought, you know what? That's the sequel, Infidelity in tra- Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. The sequel where they're just doing it everywhere. Her and John Candy. That's, he is a handsome man. That's the ne- yeah. That's the, that's the next installment where Steve Martin gets cooked. 
You know what I was thinking about? Um, now I think about it. John Candy's carrying a portrait of his wife throughout, right? Right. If she died eight years ago, that math ain't making sense, because you know what? She would not have had, like, that uh, Cher, Tina Turner, like, perm sort you of know, thing blown out hair. Yeah. 87. Yeah. Would have been 79. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This movie's timeline doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, maybe he maybe he just thinks it's eight years, been eight years. Maybe, maybe you know what? Less. Fun fact, not even a picture of his wife. Yeah. Some strange just lady. Some lady from a magazine. Like, Marie. <laughs> I, I kind of feel bad about that too, because the film kind of plays that as a joke when he pulls out the, the photo and it's kind of like a frumpy looking woman who's his wife. And it's kind of like a joke. Then you feel bad later on for laughing at Marie being a frumpy lady because she's dead and that was his one love. Then you feel bad. She looks frumpy. Yeah, she does. She does. I mean, I feel like they did it on purpose because they gave her that like very cheesy glamour shot. I feel like they wanted you to laugh at that. Like, oh, that's like you know, that's a cheesy photo no, of his I think wife. That, I mean, I think you're taking it as cheesy. Maybe, maybe I'm because, just seeing it because, now as cheesy. Maybe because, that was unintentionally. Because it's che- I say because. That type of picture, maybe, that, maybe that maybe, type of portrait now is just you know. Yeah, maybe, maybe that at the time that it, was just like normal, normal portrait mode. It is, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, maybe, maybe I'm not supposed. To, maybe that just makes me a bad person now for laughing at it, and then I find out she's dead, and I feel bad. Well, that's why I said it's kind of ridiculous that you know, like she died in '79. Yeah, no, she's got you it's know, true. Yeah, she's got the very like '80s hairspray, way ahead of the time. Yeah, you know, she bought stock in Aquanet. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Yeah. Or, you know, she was using Soul Glow from Coming to America. <laughs> yeah. Mitchell Soul Glow. Yeah, I always do feel bad. Like, like in Home Alone, when they see Buzz's girlfriend, that's actually, like, a young boy in <laughs> in makeup. So it's fine to say woof to that. Like, that's, they did that on purpose. But with this one, I do feel bad when I laugh at that picture. But. um, All right, so. We talked about the major beats in this, but now I just want to throw it back to like we talked about some of our favorite moments. But like, what's an, what's another like one of your favorite moments from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? I really like the whole um, driving down the highway and John Candy's you know playing to Ray Charles as uh, Steve Martin's passed out and he's doing a mess there, around, you know. Play, playing the keyboard, you know, the keyboard, <laughs> the dancer, and the saxophone They're doing the mess around. You know. Yeah. That's great. I do love that. Yeah, be, especially because, like, that whole, sh- that scenario leads to a lot of different funny moments. Like, him just doing the, ja- taking off the jacket, dropping his cigarette. Then they, Steve Martin wakes up because he says that they almost hit a deer. But it was because he's trying to take off his jacket. And Steve Martin's like, it's hot in here. You should take off your parka. John Candy's just like, yeah, I, I, I think I will. I think I will take that off. That's just Those are good understated moments. But the one thing I don't get is why he just didn't stop the car. Because he, they, they he's on a time limit. He wants to get Steve Martin back to his wife. He knows. He's like, you know what? I can't, I can't stop the car to take off my parka. I just got to keep going. But then that that also leads to the whole the other funny scene of them going the wrong way down the road. Um, I love that they're going pace long enough with another car for them to be yelling back and forth, and John Candy's doing like the oh. <laughs> yeah the drinking motion. I know oh, the booze, booze. Yeah. They've been drinking. How would they know where we're going? Yeah, it's great. It's it. 
it's classic John Hughes for sure, like roadside, you know. Yeah, because the scene was this all all this these shenanigans happened in Dutch. And you know what? Too, they filmed the uh, the Christmas vacation uh, car scene where he gets stuck under the tractor trailer right on this road, on this stretch of road. They did it at the same time. That's Freaking um, the, the skeleton that's you know that he reused <laughs> and in Home then Alone the devil, too. Yeah, the devil. Yeah. The devil one is the best part. I have a shirt of that from Fright Rags that I got. Fright Rags did a shirt of uh, planes, trains, and automobiles where they make where they have John Candy as the devil yeah, in that tr- shirt. Uh, it's great. It's hilarious. Yeah. Just, just like <laughs> <laughs> cackling. Yeah, that is a great scene. I because it just leads to so much build up within that. Not, so, so, like, that's one of those moments where, like, yes, you have the simplistic template that's going on, but the detail within the template is really good. And then you have, like... The players to make it work. Yeah, exactly. And you, then you have just thing after thing that happens to make it even funnier. Um, because not only then, after that, once they stop the car, catches fire. So you have just, like, constant one-upping uh, on top of and at least we got a reason things. too earlier about why the car would get caught on fire because usually in films the car just catches on fire There's, yeah just and explodes for no goddamn reason here like John Candy was just being a lazy schmuck and instead of rolling his window down enough to throw his <laughs> cigarette out he had like a little <laughs> tiny hole and he's like, you know yeah yeah, you do. You get a reason for that yeah there's a, there's it, like every I, I feel like in plain trains and automobiles the details are covered. Like with with the credit card swapping, that's covered. You know, you have the two cards that look very similar. The Diners Club, which I don't even know what the fuck Diners Club is anymore. That must be. Yeah, you, I have no idea. By Soul Eighties, I, I would say, but I really don't and Nineties. But I mean, I remember hearing about it. By what it actually is, I yeah, I, I have no idea. That 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 one is one that goes right above me. I, I don't know what the reference to Diners Club is. Um, maybe some people can chime in and let us know what that is, but um. So you have that, you have that whole setup. The detail is really good on that. Um, and then you have, you know, like him putting his wallet in the glove compartment. So then, you know, later on when he's, the car catches fire and he says, oh no, I put the credit card back in your wallet. Like you as the viewer are already like, oh shit, you know, uh, that credit card's burnt up. And then, you, you know, then you get the scene where he pulls out the really small burnt up credit cards. Like, <laughs> and yeah. the gas club it. <laughs> yeah. So the details are really good here. I think that's what really makes planes, trains, and automobiles stand out because they did go and – and I feel like one of the things – one of the uh, problems that you had with Dutch was that it's actually really kind of um, – it. it doesn't have as much detail and they kind of extend scenes for too long. Uh, like the fireworks scene from Dutch that we talked about, which like goes on forever. Um, <laughs> whereas in plane trains and automobiles, no scene really feels like it's too long because there's always something going on. There's always some sort of detail that's going on in the scene that will set up another joke to come. Um, and because it's John Candy and Steve Martin and not Ed O'Neill trying to carry some seven year old to, <laughs> to victory. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think they just did a really good job setting that up and uh, making sure that all the jokes kind of play into each other throughout. So you get that, like, the really bad luck antics throughout the entire film. Um, yeah, it just just works really well. I think one of my uh, – another one of my favorite scenes um, – I had to pick because there's so many. Um, I think another one is uh, when – just when they're drinking their uh, – their alcohol in the motel after the they nice made up a little mini bar. Yeah, they made a little mini bar and they're sharing this moment of 
joy with each other. I like that because like a lot of times they're at odds with each other. They're not really, you know, goofing around with each other. It's mostly Steve Martin being upset with John Candy for some reason. Uh, In this scene, we get them together and it shows that they can actually, you know, have a nice dialogue together uh, and laugh about some of the things that he did. So like Steve Martin is now laughing about the stuff that happened to him instead of being pissed off about, you know, the car catching fire and and then John Kinney has that great line about having griddle marks on his ass because of the hot seat <laughs> that was basically metal. So you have and that nice little got to see that too. They showed like you know the car, like in her, the interior is totally melted down, and yeah, that's great. Or and also the another good scene is when Michael McKean shows up as the sheriff, <laughs> pulls them over, and just very very serious about the whole thing. Uh. You know, it's like, do you think this automobile is safe, safe for, for road travel? <laughs> safe for highway like, travel? Just yeah. Very, very <laughs> nonchalant about just, it. Just like, you know, he's seen this shit all the time. You know, burnt out car traveling down the highway. Uh, well, you know, it's the darndest thing. All the gauges don't work, you know, but the radio still comes in clear as a bell. Don't know how that works. Still great. The radio. Yes. Do you, do you think you can let this go? I know we broke the law, but I'm trying to get him home for to his family for Thanksgiving. Impounded. <laughs> yeah, it's that's another good scene. I like that. You know, especially because you get like you know, actors that you you know are really great, prestigious actors, like you know Michael McKean. And uh, I love that he gets third billing on the end credits. I don't know why. I don't know why Neither he gets do I. Billing. It doesn't make sense. Maybe, well, do John Candy and Steve Martin get billed at all at the end? Because I think they probably count that yeah, as. Yeah, no, I think they did. Oh, do they? Yeah, at the end. Because I, I, I didn't know if they like counted like the original opening credits and then they don't bother to bill them again, but. Could be. Well, we didn't get opening credits, it's just the title card playing Oh, yeah, that's automobiles. true. And then we get into, you know. One thing I should say is that you should stick around for the credits because there is another that, John Hughes staple. Yeah, there's that having final credit sequence uh, after the uh, last of the credits roll. You get another little look at uh, the uh, advertising executive that's still reviewing the magazine covers that he <laughs> could choose from. It's another. It's, it's there's a lot of little little things in here that are really funny. Did we hit everything that you wanted to talk about? I don't know. I just, I just can keep going. I keep talking about things. It's going to be our longest episode yet. Yeah. No. S- seven days long. Yeah, right? I think we, I mean, I think I touched on everything. And we can't, we're not going to go through the entire film. Watch the film, right? But uh, I think we touched on all the really funny moments, um, all the riffs that we had. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else that we missed. I don't think so. I think we got through everything. Uh, but we got to rate plane trains and automobiles. So, on a scale of zero to ten Canadian jackets for that young uh, mischievous man who steals their money from the hotel room. <laughs> Canadian tuxedos. Can, uh, Canadian tuxedo. Uh, out of zero to ten Canadian tuxedos, what would you give uh, plane trains and automobiles? I give it an. Give it an eight. I think I'll give it an eight. It's really funny. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it, a couple of years. Um, pretty funny. I love John Candy. 
you know, even the movies that he's been in then haven't been too great. Like, you know, uh, Canadian Bacon, so, you know, he still makes them enjoyable just because of his demeanor and his physical humor and his facial expression. Mm-hmm. Steve Martin's also really hilarious, too. Um, it's Like I said before in the opening, it's not my favorite John Hughes film, but I think the whole interaction between Steve Martin and John Candy is what makes this film great. Um, even though, like I said, like a, a lot of John Hughes films, they have very similar beats, and it's basically the same rehashed idea over and over again. It's his knack for getting the right people to portray the kind of slightly different scenarios, and I think John Candy and Steve Martin are terrific, and their interaction is what makes this film absolutely hilarious and a timeless Thanksgiving classic. <clears throat> Uh, we go on for hours just talking about like all the different. And Ryan was right about like how like it is detail oriented. For like all the jokes have details to set up to them. Like we didn't even talk about like them like gripping their nails so hard into the dashboard when they got into that accident that you know they left marks into it and John Candy bent the steering wheel because he you know was gripping <laughs> it so hard you know. Um, very you know, it's very good. And like I said, even though we're kind of like making fun of some of the absurdities of the film, um, it's really good and it's got like a nice touching ending to it. And you can really, you know, really rally for, you know, John Candy and to an extent Steve Martin, even though he is a douchebag. Um, at least he's not like a total douchebag. He's doing it because he just wants to get home to his family. Yeah, I would <clears throat> give this film uh, a nine. I think that it's a really good film. Uh, it's a seasonal classic for me. I watch it every holiday, um, probably for like the last 10 years now. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of things really resonate to me. I think it's a really funny film. Um, still gets me every time. Um, and, uh, I think that, you know, a lot of it comes from both C Martin and John Candy who are able to play off of each other. Um, I kind of wonder how much of Steve Martin's rant was uh improvised because sometimes it does seem like it was a little bit improvised on what he was um spouting uh but i think like while i don't always love steve martin uh i don't always love his comedy uh especially alone or maybe in saturday night live sometimes too um i think here he's played up really well because he is playing that sort of like staunch character that um you know, he, he's got like the straight man sort of character going on. So I think he does it really well here. And John Candy is really fabulous. I think he he really sells the show. Um, his presence alone is just really funny. And But not only that, he also gives a nice emotional performance as well, uh, which comes out a lot more towards the end of the film. Um, so I think it's really good. It, it hits that emotional level that John Hughes films are known for, especially towards the end where you have that like climactic moment of embrace between the two characters who have been apart for so long in the movie, you know, rooting for them to get back together. Um, so I think it, it's a really good John Hughes film. Um, follows a lot of the standards, but you know, it does it really well with a lot of detail to go about that. Um, and just, you know, a Thanksgiving movie that you can't miss every year. I think you should watch it every year. So it's a great film. All right. So another Thanksgiving in the books. Hopefully you're gonna have you're gonna have turkey this uh this uh, Thanksgiving. I'm not working, but I might. They're, yeah. gi- they're giving out a bonus, hundred fifty dollars. A bonus. If not, you can come to our Thanksgiving. We're having it here this year. So are you gonna have the Bills game on? Uh probably. 
Yeah, we'll have we'll have football on. Playing the Cowboys. Every, my family's been saying no football, no football. Well, my family being my sister and uh, my wife, but I'm gonna have football on because it's not Thanksgiving without football on. Who wears the pants in the family? That's right. Bill's yeah. playing on Thanksgiving this year, huh? Yeah, against the Cowgirls. All right, check it out. Um, yeah, so we'll, uh, Thanksgiving is coming up. Hopefully, you guys have a happy Thanksgiving. Um, all I will of our say listeners. a little off topic because I know you, see, you don't really care for Steve Martin. I'll say his quality of films after like '93 take a big down. You know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't. I'm saying I don't care for Steve Martin in his like more solo comedy stuff. Um, I think he does an okay job. Like a lot of his work on Saturday Night Live, I wasn't a huge fan of. I like most of his movies, um, especially from the '80s and '90s. But I, I say I, if you don't like the jerk, then there's something. Yeah, wrong right. With no, I, I like the jerk. Or uh, Three Amigos. Most most of it I like. Um, I don't know if I. I don't. I just don't like his solo stuff as much. I like it when he's playing a character. Um. So, oh, yeah. what's that uh, fucking film that he was in where he's got like twelve kids? Cheaper by the dozen. Yeah, cheaper by the dozen. You know, yeah. like cheaper by the dozen, <laughs> one and two. Saw that in theaters. <laughs> um. All right, so uh, we're gonna be back in two weeks. So you know, we, we won't be back for Thanksgiving. But uh, after that, on that Friday after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, uh, we will be back with another episode. And uh, I think we're going to start our Christmas series. Oh, uh, we're going to have to because I don't think we're doing four. We're going to have to do five films. Five films, huh? Well, there's a remake coming out. Yeah, there is. We're going to have to do that one. Um, and we, I think most people can guess what our Christmas movies are going to be. We, well, you we, might as well tell them. You might as well tell them. Uh, we're definitely going to do um, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 5. We're on the Part tra- 5 this time. The tradition that That's keeps right. on going. We're almost done. We got <laughs> fi- Part 5, which is technically the end of the Silent Night, Deadly Night series. Then we have Silent Night, which is the remake of Silent Night, Deadly Night. So we're almost done with that series, which is kind of sad that we've been doing it for this long. <laughs> um, and uh, Santa Claus 3. Yep, we got Santa Claus 3, Martin Short, and the Santa Claus 3. And Kevin Spacey in Santa Claus 3. Oh, I thought you were talking about we're doing the ref. No, no. No, Kevin Spacey plays like the uh, evil uh, North Pole inspector guy. So we're going to have to suffer through that. (laughs) Um, You mean be delighted. Yeah, that's right. Then we got the Black Christmas remake, which is coming out um, pretty soon, I think. I think November. I think Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, something like that, which I got to say I'm not that excited for. Um, I I I will see it. Uh, but that it got a PG-13 rating and the trailer that gave everything away, I'm really not, you know, super well, thrilled. Maybe about Blumhouse, it. you know, is going to surprise you. I'm hoping. I'm hoping it's going to surprise us because right now, first of all, the one thing that does bother me is that they even bother to name it Black Christmas when it really doesn't have anything to do with the original. Just yeah, they got a little quite a bu- few nods in there. Maybe. And I'm hoping that they surprise us and that the trailer was like a kind of like a. Diversion from the actual. If anything, it looks like it's like the the uncut version of uh, Halloween Six. Yeah, kind of with all the cult stuff, you know. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Looks like Cult of Torrent sort of thing in Black Christmas. So hopefully that's better than I expect it to be. Um, And then I think we. I don't know if we've really made a decision for the other films yet. I I think I want to do Gremlins. I think that would be fun. Um. So maybe Gremlins and 
one yet to be determined because I don't really know what else to do. I mean, I, I mean, I have, I obviously have many ideas of what we could do, but the ref. Is that a Christmas movie? Yes, it is. Maybe it takes place on Christmas. Maybe, maybe we'll do that one. Um. So yeah, I mean, yeah, we could do snow dogs. <laughs> I was going to say, you lived the 90s where they... Nah, I know, I, I and don't In the early 2000s where for a, like a good five-year stretch during Christmas, Comedy Central played nothing but the ref nah, on I know, repeat. I, just, I don't know. I never watched it. Dennis Leary's and Kevin Spacey's Finest Hour. Yeah. I've never, I've never watched it. Um, now, nah, we're going to do Snow Dogs. Jack Frost. Santa Puppies. Oh, yeah, Jack Frost. Jack Frost, not really. Grandma Christmas got ran movie, over by a reindeer. Yeah, we didn't do that one either. Yeah. Or we could do, you know, branch into other holidays. We could do Eight Crazy Nights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have, there's a ton of stuff that we could do. So, I don't know. We'll leave that one to be determined. But yeah. You really our... need to watch Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. I know. Well, you well, know, it'd be a hard episode to do because it's only like an hour long animated movie. Mm. But my God, is it awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, but that's our Christmas lineup. That's our lineup of, uh, I don't know, what do we call our Christmas series? I can't Festivus. remember. Festivus. Yeah, Festivus. That's what we call it, the Festivus series. I can't believe that. <laughs> way, that. To, way to sell. Yeah. Hey, what do we call it? I can't, I can't believe that uh, didn't come to me. But Ooh, yeah, the, like. the Festivus series. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be when we come back in two weeks. So definitely check in with us. I don't know what's the first episode, but. Probably going to be Black Christmas. Yeah, if, if it comes out, then that might be the first episode. I think it is out November 28th. Well, if it's so out it's November 28th, be, then that, that can't be our first episode. Say, it was either going to be the first or second episode. Yeah, so. it'll probably be the second episode. Because if it's out the 28th, our episode should would already be done by then. So, yeah. But stay tuned for all of that. Festivus series coming up in two weeks. Thanks for listening to our Thanksgiving episode on planes, trains, and automobiles. Um, obviously, we have all kinds of stuff we're on. We're on uh, Podbean. We're on Stitcher. We're on I- Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. Whatever you listen to for podcasts, we're on it. So subscribe to us. Leave us a nice review. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. We're on Twitter at blood and black rum. Oh, we have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to donate to us, we do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash bloodandblackrumpodcast uh, where you can donate as much or as little as you would like and it helps us uh, maintain the podcast. We might put something up there, like may, might do some shirts or something like that too. Um, fun little stuff like that. And mugs. We did mugs before. So if you like drinking coffee, pick up a Blood and Black Rum Podcast mug. Um other than that, we'll be back next week or in two weeks with the Festivus series starting then. And have a happy Thanksgiving. Take care.